0: Today we're going to be discussing Monday's interview with Dr. David Pittman, who is the Director of the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center, as well as the Chief Scientist for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Joining me back in studio to discuss the interview are my friends and fellow leaders, Elijah Friedman and Isaac Blakemore. So
1: what did y'all think about Monday's interview with Dr. Pittman? I thought it was really good. I was struck by his humility, and that seemed to come through really strongly, is, is how he approached his leadership was not something about his personal accomplishments in fact you rarely heard about his personal accomplishments it was all about what they were doing and and how the team was working together it's a good point
2: Uh, i found it incredibly fascinating i actually i had no idea that the army corps of engineers was involved in so many interesting arenas of of developing and and problem solving and i saw that as insightful and also i realized wow how necessary are these guys just to the infrastructure of, of what they do
0: absolutely so one of the things that i really enjoyed about his interview is he was talking about in his leadership role he'd never really planned on making it to that point you know all of his education was centered on engineering from his bachelor's to his master's to his phd and he kind of fell into this role or was l- gradually led into this role so I was kind of I was wondering what your experience has been in that regard not necessarily just with leadership but with life in general. Have you ever had a next best step that just seemed natural and when you followed that more new possibilities opened up to you?
2: Absolutely. I uh I think it was 2016 I was working back and forth from the US and London with the Salvation Army in the UK and it dried up like the desert, mm. and I didn't know what I was going to do next, and as I was looking, like, well, what will I do? Um, I ended up having the opportunity to pursue a master's degree in seminary, which was not really the first thing on my radar, but yeah. as I got into that, and as it sort of developed and led into this next step of, uh, of career and future for me, um, it's been sort of a blessing in disguise, and one that I'm incredibly grateful that I stepped into. Yeah. I think for me, it'd be graduate school as well, which, which feeds into something
1: that, that Dr. Pittman talked about a little later on with the preparation, but just taking that next step into graduate school and then that opening up some opportunities, connecting me with some people and shaping where I'm at right now.
0: I think for me, it's going from college to teaching in another country. And in a lot of ways, people would think that the other country aspect would be the weird part. To me, I was always planning on doing some sort of work overseas for at least a portion of my life. One thing I never planned on doing was teaching, especially at the middle school level. It was an opportunity that opened up, and I walked through that door. And from there, a number of other things happened. And one thing led to another, and here I am talking about leadership today. And when you look at those two or three things on paper, it makes no sense. But it seemed like a very logical progression every step of the way for me. Another thing that the Dr. Pittman talked about was his view of leadership and authority, and he he differentiated between formal authority and moral authority and I thought that was a very helpful way to look at leadership and I wanted to get your your thoughts on what he shared about those two aspects and For clarification, formal authority is that authority that comes with a position and if he has a position he has formal authority automatically. He walks into a room. And he has formal authority because of his position as a director. And what he doesn't automatically have is moral authority. And moral authority is that authority that you gain as a leader when you respect people and they feel respected by you and they want to follow you instead of having to follow you. So what were some of your thoughts as you heard Dr. Pittman sharing about those two different aspects of authority?
2: I thought that Dr. Pittman did a great job of drawing a distinction between formal authority and moral authority. One of the things that made me think about was the sort of real-life example of King Leonidas I of Sparta, who he died in his 60s at the Battle of Thermopylae. He was the king, so he naturally, by that position, had the formal authority, and yet he fought as a soldier with his soldiers. He went into battle with them. That gives him also the moral authority. They know he is not just a leader who will send us into battle, But he will stand there and fight with us. So they wanted to follow him into battle because they knew he was one of them and he was going to have their back. And I think that's a great real life example of combining the two because there are plenty of kings who could send you out. And there are also plenty of soldiers who may fight with you, but they might be your subordinate. So to have that leadership role, I thought was very insightful that he drew a distinction between the two. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really interesting because there is that perhaps stereotype or
0: that expectation that in the past, kings oftentimes were leading their armies into battle. But when you think about it, they really didn't have to. And I'm assuming that that was a regular practice, but that's pretty gutsy, especially back then. I mean, you didn't have a whole lot protecting you. Another thing is I didn't realize that King Leonidas was 60 years old. Gerard Butler looked really good for
1: 60 and 300. <laughs> <laughs> it changes how you view the whole battle, right? It's yeah, exactly. geriatric battle at that point. <laughs> It's interesting to me about moral and formal authority. For me, certainly, I think a lot of people would say moral authority is more attractive. That's that's what we'd like to be leaders who have moral authority. But it's so much easier to seek out the formal authority it's so much easier just because you can define it. You can say, I I am the director of such and such, or I'm this or that. It's harder to say, yeah, people respect me because I listen to them. Uh, It's harder to define that. And it's just interesting to me how I think so many of us would love to have that moral authority. And yet often we settle for seeking the formal authority with a little bit of moral authority mixed in to help us feel better about ourselves. And so I I just thought it was interesting and challenging to me of saying, hey, am I settling too much on formal authority that I do have rather than seeking a deeper level of moral authority? A question coming off of that for me is how do you develop as a leader and be recognized as a leader when it comes to moral authority if you don't have any form of authority already? Because a lot of the the characteristics he's describing of moral authority, respect, listening to others, um, allowing others to be part of your life and being part of their lives is not necessarily what we recognize as leadership. So how do you what else do you have to add to have people recognize you as a leader? Honestly, the
0: first thing I think of when you say that is the most important element to add to that is time. Because I do think that over time, those things as you respect people, listen to people, show them that you value them, that you're going to gain moral authority. I want to say over them, but in their lives, because I don't think that moral authority is something that once you have it, you just, you know, use people to control them. But you gain moral authority in their lives, in their eyes and in their minds. So I think I think a lot of it is if you're doing things right and you come into a, a new role and you don't have a formal leadership position, as you are listening to people and respecting them, showing them that you value them, the key element is time. And you're going to gain that authority and respect. And that will probably lead to more formal authority positions.
2: I think that's right. I think building off what Josh just said, um, I think there definitely comes something through the long-term process of just time developing and showing that you have these characteristics of becoming a natural leader. I think there's also probably something to having a very charismatic personality that draws people to you. They have to have a real fundamental belief that you are somebody they want to follow that. Even if you are not in that formal role of authority currently, you should be. Or they naturally gravitate to you because there is something just inherently desirable about how you behave and act either towards them or in your responsibilities that you're carrying out that they say, I want to be like him. I want to follow him or her. They should be a leader. And I think that is one way we start to see moral authority blossom into a real type of authority, whether or not you have formal authority when you're beginning those early processes.
1: As I was listening to Dr. Pittman, it was interesting because he doesn't sound like someone who we would often think of as a, as a leader of a billion dollar organization. I mean he's he's not a, he's not a person who's coming with a lot of bravado and saying this is, this is what we're doing and we're the best and rah rah. He just sounds like something someone who's competent, someone who knows what he's doing, someone who includes people. And as I was listening to him, I was like I I could work for this guy. I could see myself, except I'm not an engineer, but I could see myself <laughs> working for this guy because he just seems like he's he's someone worth following. Even though he doesn't have those leadership characteristics, we often think about.
0: You almost want to see if there's like a janitorial role. It's like do y'all like need someone to clean that's floors right. or something like that? I did appreciate his his mention of servant leadership because one of the things about a servant leader is that they are really looking for what's best for their followers, and that's really important. If you care about each individual's future. And their goals and helping them to attain those goals, then you're going to have a lot of success in your leadership because people are looking to move forward in their lives. And if you can help them do that, then you are going to be able to be a big influence. And I think that's an encouragement for people. Isaac, you mentioned charisma a second ago. For those people who really feel like they don't have it, first of all, that probably isn't entirely true. They're probably being a little too down on themselves. And there's a, a few things that you probably do to, to come across as more charismatic. But one of the things that might help, even if they don't necessarily label it as charisma, is really being interested in other people and helping them to accomplish their goals. That's going to go a, a long way as you are developing
2: as a leader. One of the things I thought was very interesting that Dr. Pittman brought up was his quote when he said, some of the best leaders have been teachers. Yeah. And it made me wonder, is there a dichotomy between being a teacher and a leader, or are they complementary roles that have to be lived out together simultaneously? I'm going to punt to Elijah because I feel like you have the,
0: the most uh, teaching experience in some of your leadership roles at the
1: moment. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me how much of where... I need to grow as a leader and then the effective functions I have as a leader right now in my organization is what we're, we're building. We started a church a few years ago and so we're building stuff from the ground up and establishing systems with people who've never done it before. So much of it is, is helping people understand what they need to do and how they need to do it. And so for me, I would say right now more than being a leader I actually need to be a teacher. Now, unfortunately I don't feel like that's where I tend to go with my focus and time, but I, th- I think being a teacher is is in some ways the same as being a leader, but it's it's a different function and often in a lot of organizations it's the more important function. And just just hearing Dr. Pittman talk, you kinda get the feeling that he's not just sharing these lessons on a podcast. He's probably doing it with people he's working with as well. And he keeps saying, I've done a lot of reading in this and reading in that and I, I imagine he's someone who's sharing those ideas with other people. So that's actually the, the, what I try to do as a leader, first of all, is just be a learner, uh, not only in the organization, but also from outside the organization to bring that knowledge back in. And that actually is is an interesting thing, the element of
0: being a learner and a teacher, because I think a lot of good teachers have to be good learners. First, you have to be passionate about learning. And a lot of leadership is instilling Culture and values and things like that, and you have to be willing to learn and understand and know the direction that you want to go, and then you have to get people on board with that. And that may not look like a formal teaching role, and it probably shouldn't always look like a formal teaching role. But there's going to be those teaching elements that are woven in throughout. Laja, I like what you're talking about. You have to kind of teach people and show people what they need to be doing in these early stages to begin thinking differently and to be working with an organizational mindset. And so I I definitely think there's a lot of of teaching connections there.
2: No, yeah, I think uh, they have to be complementary roles together. I think you could dichotomize them and say, well, if I'm in my teaching role, I'm instructing you, I'm not really leading you because I'm having to step away from leading you. Or, oh, when I'm leading you, I can't really teach, you have to follow my example. Um, But I think to be real effective leaders... There does have to be that element of teaching and leading at the same time, sort of the lead by example or teach through your leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Another way of approaching that
1: question, too, is why are teachers so often great leaders? Like, What characteristics about them make them great leaders? It's not just the fact that they communicate information. A lot of people can do that. But there's, I think there's something else going on. I wonder what makes a teacher a great leader so often.
0: And I think maybe more accurately is I would say great leaders are good teachers instead of, cause I, I've, I've had a lot of teachers that haven't been great leaders. I, I remember there's a, a one economics teacher that I had in college and he was an adjunct. He wasn't a, a full, a full-time teacher. It was his first class, maybe ever. And as soon as class started, he just turned to the chalkboard, didn't say a word uh, and started just writing things on the board. And we didn't even find out until a few weeks later what his name even was and I, I think there are a lot of teachers that can kind of just get by. They they do have a love for learning, but they don't necessarily have that leadership drive in them. But I will say that if you are a good leader, maybe not a leader with a formal authority and that's all, but if you're a good leader who has formal authority and moral authority and you care about your followers, you're going to have to be a great teacher to get people to go where you're trying to get the whole organization to go. So... Uh, Another thing that, that Dr. Pittman talked about was the path to success. And he said that success is where preparation meets opportunity. And I really like that because it's very practical. So if you want to be successful, you have to have preparation and an eye for opportunity in your life. So I feel like there's a, a good discussion to be had here. And maybe the first part is how do you handle Or how have you handled these two elements in your own life? How have you thought about your preparation? And how have you stayed open to opportunity?
1: It was interesting to me that Dr. Pittman, when he talked about this, talked about them like circles that you can expand. And that's really helpful. Instead of thinking, I've been statically given certain opportunities and not others, I can actually expand my opportunities. I know in college especially, I was really on the lookout for new opportunities. Since then, I've started to focus in my life on a few areas. I remember one summer in college where I think I had three distinct things. I forget what exactly what it all was, but I had a couple internships. I traveled and and spent a month up in Washington, D.C. I had an internship down here. I was involved, involved in some other stuff. And so I had this wide variety of things just trying to constantly expand those opportunities yeah. because of that those opportunities have actually led into other more permanent opportunities by having them on my resume having the stories to tell making those connections to this day i'm constantly using those experiences to make connections so that's an example of of preparation and opportunities both but just taking a step forward trying new things like he suggested
2: and it's worked out into some some pretty neat opportunities beyond that yeah i think uh, earlier i mentioned about playing professional soccer in brazil and that is definitely one life experience I've had that was an opportunity that was preceded by preparation. Yeah, I had no idea how I was going to get into soccer professionally. I I was actually running track at the time. I decided to switch gears and try to go into a new direction that I felt God was leading me in my life. So I began kicking a soccer ball against the wall of a gym Hmm. and I had no idea where it was going to lead or what it was going to lead to. I just knew this is the first step I have to take if I'm going to Realize and actualize this goal of playing soccer. So six months go by, and I get some opportunities to go to some tryouts, and I'm doing okay, but I'm still having to keep working through it. And next thing I know, about two three months later, so it's about eight months total time since kicking against the wall of the gym, I get a call from a guy who was a talent scout and said, "If I had the, if you had the opportunity to go to Brazil, would you?" I hmm. said, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> he said, "Okay, well, I'd like you to fly out to Dallas, Texas, and meet with me, so I can try you out, work you out." see if you've got what it takes, but I can get you to Brazil if you're ready. I said, okay. So I flew to Dallas, worked out, you know, those eight months, nine months of kicking against the wall and going and picking up every game and every workout I could paid off. I get to Dallas, I work out. And then the opportunity for me to fly to Rio de Janeiro, try out with a professional team down there and make the team yeah. actually happened. And had I not taken that first step of simply going into the gym and kicking against the wall and doing all the little work that led up to being ready when the opportunity presented itself, I would have totally missed out on that opportunity in life. Yeah, What I love
1: about that story is that wasn't formal preparation. I'm sure some of the workouts were, but it was you taking initiative and saying, I'm going to go in a new direction, prepare myself better. I think often we get stuck in thinking in educational context when we think preparation. I'm going to get another degree, another certification, do this, do that. You just said, I'm going I'm to do something different. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go ask some people and just start kicking a ball against the wall. And I love that because I think there's so many of us who have opportunities for preparation in our lives. If we just decide, I want to take that next step. I want to find a way to better myself, to expand my preparation and just do it. That's why I love love that example because I think it so clearly illustrates that. And I think also being open to
0: opportunities because from that, I mean, you're not currently playing professional soccer, but that led to one thing which led to another which led to another and i don't think it's bad to have a very specific goal in mind and work toward that i think it's actually a really good thing but if you become so focused on that that you automatically are saying no to everything else and not even you know considering it as a as a possibility then you might need to rethink that. Now I know that for some people who are hearing this right now, that are like, man, you're totally off base. Maybe I am. Maybe you have this one singular goal in mind and you can't let anything keep you from focusing on that. And if that's where you are and you're a hundred percent there, then that's probably a good thing. Stay focused. But a lot of people, years in the past, they had created some idea of what their life would look like. And The reasons that they created that vision for their future today might not still be relevant, but they're kind of just stuck in that mindset. And that type of person needs to be open to other possibilities of life and make sure that they're not cutting themselves off from entire futures that they could be
1: pursuing. I think millennials, though, and I'm not sure if this is also true with the next generation Gen Z, but millennials will sometimes jump around too much. Yeah, that's true. Like when we don't just jump around to different opportunities, we jump totally to another field over and over again. And I think that's good to a certain point in life, then you have to start focusing in. Yeah. Dr. Pittman's story, go back to his example, he, he went from working at Urdick to then working at the University of Auburn and then back to Urdick. And then back to Urdick, but it was in the same sphere of, of focus. Sure. And so he, he was taking opportunities that still fit with that general life direction. And I, I know myself, I feel myself pulled to doing things that are totally different. I think because they're totally different and just jumping into this and that. I had an opportunity pop up to have a, a daily radio show uh, just last week, and I really wanted to do it. But I had to tell myself that is absolutely not what I should be doing right now with my time. Yeah. But I, I just want to try these different things. So that's a tough balance to say I'm going to take opportunities, but take ones that still are pushing me towards a general overall direction.
0: That's a good word right there. Well, let's go ahead and turn to our key takeaways for the day. What would be a few things that you want to leave the listeners with that relate to what Dr. Pittman shared with us on Monday?
2: I think the thing that stuck out to me the most had to do with how he defined and went into moral authority. And for me, it really seems like moral authority is defined as people follow you because they want to. Because they trust you and they believe in you. Yeah. So it has to be genuine and believed. It can't be this facade you put on like, I want to be a moral leader, but I'm not one. I think if you have this moral authority, you either genuinely have it or you don't. I don't I don't think there's a way you can, you can fake only, it.
0: Yeah, you can only fake it for so long, right?
2: Exactly. I think formal authority, sure. You can have the position given to you and you just occupy a space of authoritarian leadership over someone, but moral authority it has to be real it has to be a genuine thing that you live out in your day to day life absolutely
1: Three things that Dr. Pittman said that really stuck with me uh, is first is listen more so that I can understand. Mm-hmm. Listen well, actually hear people and I'll try to understand where they're at. The second thing is just learn and, and especially learn to ask different questions as I progress through life. The question that worked yesterday may not be the same question I need to ask today. And then finally, expand your preparation, expand your opportunities and where those meet, you will find success. One of the things that
0: we did not talk about today that I really liked was how Dr. Pittman talked about the idea of taking responsibility and he said to get out of the habit of blaming others essentially and accept as much responsibility as you can for your life. The next thing is that success is where preparation meets opportunity. And I think that's such a valuable way of thinking about how you live your life as you want to be successful. Think about how am I preparing myself and how am I being open to and considering opportunities And the final thing is even when you're given authority, earn it because formal authority is not bad. It's great. But the question is, once you have formal authority, what are you going to do with it? So even when you are given authority, make sure that you earn that authority. Well, Elijah, Isaac, thank you so much for joining the
1: podcast this week. Thanks for having us on. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And three, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will help to make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time... Keep living and leading well. or entrepreneur who's using bitcoin the hardest money on planet earth to improve their life and their business so what's with the name well it's a play on the term hyper bitcoinization which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it when you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million bitcoin that will ever exist it feels like only a matter of time until hyper bitcoinization happens